I want to read a scripture for you. Um, I, I apologize. I grabbed the, the wrong Bible, so my translation is just a wee bit different, but it, it, you can, you'll, it'll be fine. The one on the screen will work just fine. Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed it is coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. This morning, I, I want to have this conversation about, in some ways, just a single word, the single idea. I want you to, if you can, imagine whether you're a parent or not, this will not, it's not going to be hard for you to imagine. Imagine, you know, your, your kid, you know, grown up, and they come to you one day and they say, hey, dad, um, or mom, in your case, uh, I, I'm, I'm just too angry. I, 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 can't, I can't even be with you. It, it, it's, it's too hard. The memories are too deep, and I, I, I can't be with you anymore. They cut you off. And maybe a month or two later, they have a little softening, and they call you and they say this, Dad, I, I can't be with you. I can't give you a hug but I'd like to go to coffee. How do you feel? I know how you feel. I know how you imagine you would feel. It's rhetorical because I know you would imagine that that would feel really good. That would feel great. There's not a person here who would say, sorry son, it's all or nothing. Like either hugging and kissing or we ain't getting together. We, we, we can imagine the, the celebration of even the smallest step. The addict who can, who can have one day of sobriety, we would celebrate that. Jesus said something like this. If you can imagine how to be a good parent, can you imagine how God can be a good parent? And can you imagine that God would, with our first step of turning towards him, God, sorry, it's all or nothing. You see, I can see the way of grace, the way of a, a, a little step being celebrated by my father. I can see that. Except for one word. There's one word that... I've struggled with not believing that it's all or nothing. It's in or out, black or white. That there's no little in between, there's no little stepping towards. It's kind of like you can't be a little pregnant. And that's maybe the word you heard is this word holy. You see, I've had moments 
I'm not, I'm not being arrogant, but I've had moments where I know I can be, I'm, I'm, I'm more loving, even though I'm not perfectly loving. I've been more kind. I'm not perfectly kind. I've been more generous. I have grown. I have a sense that I've grown in those areas. I think if you were to ask April, she would say to you that I am more loving and generous and kind than I was 38 years ago. You know, in the Boy Scouts, when I was a kid, I... I don't want to brag, but I became a second class, um, which is just one above the beginning or whatever it's called even. And, um, but the way, you, the, way, you know, the way you work your way up, Boy Scouts, Girl Scouts, Cub Scouts, whatever, you, you get these merit badges, you know? Um, I, I mean, 15 minutes on a beach, and I'm not getting the holy merit badge, if you know what I'm saying. I'm out of the running. And if I did communicate to you that I was feeling holy, I'm not so sure that would sound all that good to you. Like, doesn't that even sound arrogant? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of holy today. I've grown in holiness. When I hear the word holy, I really struggle not having a story in my head that I'm just lazy and lustful. So it, it, this, this has brought me to this sort of series of questions, this meditating on this, on this verse. I, this, I'm not saying this is for all of you. Some of you, in, I'm not dismissing this, may have, may have certainly grown into a, a way better understanding than I have or experience with it. I'm not in any way saying this is how you should feel. This is I'm, going to, I'm just sharing with you how I have processed and been processing this word. So here's one of my questions. How is this word holy? How is that good news? I've shared with you before, I think the whole Bible is good news. I think our story is, is communicating good news. It, the good news is not just a little piece of the Bible. It's the, it's, the story is good news, and, and I can see that in so many ways. Let's do this. If you don't mind um, playing along with me, I know it takes a little courage to say something out loud, but other than the word holy, let's take that one off the table for a minute. If I were to say to you, tell me a characteristic, an attribute of God, what would you say? Love. Sacrificial. Truth. Justice, I hear good. I didn't hear. Merciful. We could just go on. I mean, it's, and all of those, all of those, I go, I, oh my gosh, that's so good for me. Oh my goodness, that God is loving. I'm so grateful that God is merciful, that he's kind. All of those words. But how does holy work for me? When always my feeling is, this is working against me somehow. That God's holiness is my barrier in some way. And it seems to me that it's sort of a, a, a a different kind of word because 
It's the only word I can think of that is exclusively, in my understanding, about not doing something. It doesn't feel proactive to me that if I'm going to be holy, I just hear quit doing things. Kind of stop being something. Here's an important question to ask. Because certainly my neighbors would have, if, if they could describe for me how I'm loving or kind or generous, but how would my neighbor view my holiness? I remember, I think I was in Bible college, and some preacher or professor was making the case why we should always go to church on Sunday morning. Let's think and judge our friends who are out enjoying the sunshine today, shall we, for a moment? Because his, his, his um, rationale was that if my neighbor doesn't see me going to church on Sunday morning, what would he think? That I'm not holy? And, and back then, it's not true today, but back then that you had to dress up to go to church because you, you were showing that you were holy. Not that you could afford a suit and tie. And isn't this idea of how my neighbor, or I would want my neighbor to think of my holiness, isn't it kind of the problem we're having today in the way as a Christian I'm viewed? I think that if you were to ask almost anybody outside of our communities, what do you think of a Christian's holiness? That's not a positive experience for them. It is this idea that they are the moral police. That's how often we've come to understand holiness. Now, I'm not saying that your view of holiness is wrong, but maybe my view is insufficient. I, um, I like podcasts, and there was a, there's a new one, fairly new. Uh, I don't know if you know the name Michael Lewis. He's a really well-known author now, and he, he wrote um, the, the Big Short. I think he did Moneyball about base. Anyhow, he's, he's a really interesting guy. And he's got this new, um, he's got this new podcast, um, and it's about all these different ways. And I can't remember who who made the rules or who's making the rules, something like that. Uh, one was on referees, and it's been a, I really enjoyed it. But he had this this guest a couple of weeks ago, um, Alex Kogan, who is a, a language expert. He's he I can't remember who he worked for, but he kind of writes dictionaries. He's like a referee of language in the American world. And he had this list of words that we all think we understand. We all use them. We believe that they communicate accurately. We, we don't hesitate. But how often we're wrong. I'll give you an example. I, had a, I went on vacation. I had a terrific time. You think I had a good time. The word terrific can only mean horror and terror. Terror, terrific, you get it. The tornado 
decimated the town. Decimated means a loss of 10%. There's lots. Plethora, can, disinterested. I didn't realize I'm just, I'm just using them completely wrong. I think I've been communicating wholly in a way that's not fully accurate. And one of the words that he mentioned is the word unique. That unique does not mean different or unusual. Unique means one of a kind. You've probably heard the word holy before, or at least sang it in a church song once or twice. And for most people, this idea is really just connected to being a morally good person. So God is holy because he's morally perfect. Yeah, that is part of it. But in the Bible, the idea of holiness is even bigger and more rich. What it's really describing is how God is the creative force behind the whole universe. He's the one and only being with the power to make a world full of such beauty and life. And so all these abilities, they make God utterly unique, which is the meaning of the word holy. So a helpful way to think about God's holiness is by using the sun as a metaphor. The sun is unique, at least within our solar system, and it's really powerful. It's the source of all this beautiful life on our planet. And so you could say that the sun is holy. And you can actually take this metaphor even further in that the whole area around the sun is also holy. Yeah, because the closer you get to the sun, the more intense it gets. Yeah, exactly. So that very power and goodness that generates all this life is also dangerous. I mean, the sun, if you get too close, will annihilate you. And in the same way, there's this paradox at the heart of God's own holiness, because if you're impure, his presence is dangerous to you. And not because it's bad, but because it's so good. And so the first time we see this paradox of God's holiness, it's in the story of Moses and the burning bush. So God tells Moses to take off his sandals because he's standing on holy ground. And Moses covers his face in fear. And God says, hey, don't come any closer. It's intense. It's actually that intensity of God's holiness that's explored even more in the stories about Israel's temple, which was the main place where God's holy presence was located. And at the center of the temple was this room called the most holy place. This is the hot spot of God's presence. And whether you're an Israelite living in the land around the temple or a priest working right in the temple, you're in proximity to God's holy presence, which is dangerous. Yeah, this is a problem. So how's it supposed to work? Well, in the Bible, the solution is that you need to become pure. So like being morally pure. Yeah, and that's easy enough to understand. But the Bible spends a lot of time talking about another kind of purity being ritually pure, which is a state where you separate yourself from anything related to death, like touching things like diseased skin or dead bodies or even certain bodily fluids. All these make you impure. And becoming ritually impure isn't necessarily sinful. What's wrong is waltzing into God's presence when you're in an impure state. 
And so that's why God gave the Israelites very clear instructions for knowing when they were impure, steps to become pure, so that they could go into the temple again. So that's what the book of Leviticus is about. Right. But it doesn't stop there. This idea keeps developing. So later in the scriptures, we find this really interesting story by a prophet named Isaiah. And he has this crazy vision where he's in the temple and he's right in God's presence. He's totally terrified. Yeah, he knows the rules. He shouldn't even be in there. And he's worried about being destroyed. And then this crazy creature called a seraphim. Yeah, that is a crazy creature. <laughs> totally. So it flies over with a hot coal and then it sears Isaiah's lips with the coal and says something really weird. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. So this burning coal somehow makes Isaiah pure. Yeah, it's remarkable because normally if you touch something impure, it transfers its impurity to you. But now here's this new idea where you have this coal, this very holy and pure object, and it touches Isaiah and it transfers its purity to him. Isaiah is not destroyed by God's holiness. He's transformed by it. I mean, the implications of this are just huge. But there's one more development, this time from another prophet, Ezekiel. And he has this vision where he's standing at the temple and he sees water trickling out from it. And then that water turns into a stream and then it grows into a deep river that starts flowing through the desert, leaving this trail of green trees behind it. And then it flows into the Dead Sea, making everything fresh and alive. So instead of becoming pure first and then going into the temple, here God's holiness comes out from the temple, making things pure and bringing them to life. What does it all mean? So we don't know until we meet this man, Jesus. And he claims that he's fulfilling all of these ancient visions, but in surprising new ways. So Jesus, he went around touching people who are impure, people with skin diseases, a, a woman with chronic bleeding or dead people. And when he touches them, their impurity should transfer over to Jesus. But instead, Jesus's purity transfers to them and actually heals their bodies. Jesus is like that holy coal in Isaiah's vision. Right. And Jesus claimed that he was the human embodiment of God's own holiness and that he and his followers were now God's temple so that through them, God's holy presence would go out into the world and bring life and healing and hope. And so this is why Jesus described his followers as having streams of living water flowing out of them. So this is our part of the story where we find ourselves now. but. Where's this all heading? So the last pages of the Bible end with a final vision about God's holiness. And this time it's by a guy named John. And in his vision, we see the whole world made completely new. The entire earth has become God's temple. And Ezekiel's river is there flowing out of God's presence, immersing all of creation, removing all impurity and bringing everything back to life. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is unique and powerful and life-giving, so be unique and powerful and life-giving in all you do, for it is written, be unique and powerful and life-giving, because I am unique and powerful and life-giving. 
I watched that video not that long ago, and it has, it, it has been a bit of a game changer for me. And it, I've, I've had so many experiences that I've known that the Bible is not a story that is supposed to lead us to shame. I couldn't get my head around this one. I'm unique. There have been billions of people who have been created since time began. Billions, and not one of them is like me. Not one. And I am powerful. The Bible says I'm an overcomer. And I can be life-giving. I've told people, I love you. I forgive you. I think you're marvelous. I can be life-giving. I think often some of the problems we get into sort of theologically, it's not that we have a wrong definition but we often have such a singular definition. It can only be this. We were having a conversation about this idea of holy. And I, um, uh, we were talking about Moses. I don't know if you remember this story. So when Moses encounters God, he had been, he was walking, you know, kind of walking around, and he sees, remember, the bush that is on fire, but it's not being consumed. And God says, come here. Moses starts walking towards him. And then God says, hold it. Take off your shoes. <laughs> okay, That's a, it is a little strange, right? Like, the shoes, taking off your shoes is going to make you holy. Like, I'm pretty sure, pretty sure your feet were touching those shoes. But as often is happening in the Bible, we're, we're entering into this story, a, a way to understand something that is hard to understand. And so we were just talking about it, just, you know, I wonder what does that mean or what could that mean? Because honestly, the Bible never gives us a, an explanation. And April said, my wife, because I wonder if it's almost like this literal thing in that if you imagine people then, their shoes were really filthy. It's not like they had a lot of shoes. It's not like they put on clean shoes. They had a pair of sandals, and they walked around in a lot of, a lot of poop and dirt and mud. They're just gross. And maybe, he says, you, you don't have to bring that poopy in to my presence. I want you to think of another, there's another story. There's another story. If you think about it, it we, we talk about that story of shoes and sandals every week, every week. Because you remember, at that last supper, 
Okay, it's interesting. I was thinking, a little side note, it's not the Last Supper. That's the First Supper. That's where we learn how to do supper. It's the beginning of our suppers. Anyhow, so at that, you remember that's that First Supper? Um, the disciples walk in. It's a private, it's this private dinner. And um, there was in that culture, the a person was assigned to the taking care of the poopy feet. And it was the person who was viewed as at the bottom of the social ladder, remember? But Jesus had designed it, I think, completely on purpose that there would be nobody else there. And so the disciples walk in, they've always been accustomed when they walk in and they're going to have dinner that there's a person who washes their feet. They just kind of put them out. And this is what's fascinating. Every one of them was thinking one of the other guys was the lowest on the social ladder. Not one of them thought, yeah, I guess it's me. And so what even creates more tension and weirdness is Jesus kind of lets supper get going in a way that he normally wouldn't. Nobody would have had that experience. And you know how it goes. Then Jesus takes off his clothes or his robe. He puts a towel around his waist. He looks exactly like a slave, a servant. And he imputes to us in this story his cleanness. He can give you cleanness. He gives you holy to be holy. To be people who know that they're unique and that they're powerful and they can give life. I love that part. In a moment, we'll once again get to experience the first supper. But before we do, I really liked how Peter began. Can we be just quiet for a moment and imagine what if we, what if we saw this word just a little bit differently. Let's be quiet together. Amen. I want to share just in this moment something that I have, I don't know if confronted is the right word, but I know that for some, some people, the fact that I sometimes cry is it's troublesome. Um, and I get that. I'm sympathetic to it. it, it, it I get it. It's, it's kind of awkward. And the reality is it's probably rooted 
not so much that I'm such a sensitive, and, but I struggle with some mental illness things. I, I, I struggle with, with, yeah, some mental illness. We have to go into that. And um, in, it's probably likely that it, it kind of is rooted in that. You know, this kind of exposure, is, you know, this kind of intimacy that we're having. And um, <laughs> I, I thought as we were quiet, this is what I heard, that doesn't disqualify me. I'm not disqualified. I'm one of a kind. We can live with the awkwardness. It's okay. So on that night, when he imparted to us his holiness, he completed that story. He said, this is my body. It's broken for you. I'm happy to give it to you. I'm happy to put on a, 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 a towel and to wash your feet. I want to serve you. Is that amazing? It's amazing. It's broken for you. And then he took the cup and he said, this is the, this is the, this is my blood. This is the new covenant. This is a new way for you to completely think, how does a person get holy? Try harder? Keep all those laws? Keep the 638? A lot of ones we should start making up so we can be holy? Or do we trust and let him give to us? The, the white cup is the juice, and the brown cup is the wine. And over here, there will be a, a, there's a gluten-free and, and a juice option. And I also wanted to say, so I don't forget, that after the service, and as part of this experience, the, the river, the, the video talked about that this, this beautiful coming from the cross, this river that gives, that gives life. Oh, I got it. We, um, we are not our, our worst decision. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, unique and powerful and life-giving, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Amen.